Hello, this is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman, and I'm here today to offer an apology to my wonderful nurse panelists that came to, agreed to, to come to a podcast, and I had audio problems. I was recording from a room in a hotel. Anyway, I just apologize. But I had this wonderful conversation with these indigenous nurses, and where the whole intent was to acknowledge the indigenous nurses of the past and the nurses of today. And I and I was the goal was to provide inspiration and motivation to the future indigenous nurses. Hello, this is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. Today's podcast is titled Celebrating Indigenous Nurses. Oh my, I have a wonderful panel today of indigenous nurses. You know, I've been thinking about this podcast now for a while. I've been around medical services now for since 1976. I started working in addictions, and of course, the ones that were funding the program were medical services branch from Ottawa. And they had regional offices in British Columbia, and they would, you know, they were providing the medical services for the indigenous people on the res. So I'd go to their offices and I'd meet regional directors, directors, and nurses and such. And when I think of that, I, I, I remember that there were no indigenous doctors or nurses in medical services branch. At least what I could see where I was, there may have been. And as the years went on, I, I got to do keynote presentations to nurses' conferences to, you know, and I would go and mostly to talk about the impacts of trauma on indigenous health. I started going to um, U- University of British Columbia to lecture at um, health sciences to doctors nurses. Of course, there were students. And again, I would notice very few indigenous Métis or Inuit students. And I, you know, would now today doing this podcast to celebrate the ones that did go through You know, the meaning of life is for us as a human being is to find our gift. 
and that each one of us is born with a gift. And the meaning of life is to find that gift to help the people. You know, I found my gift by going through ceremony, and the ceremony showed me that I'm to work with other human beings in circle, in traditional ways of sharing, learning, teaching. And that's what I've been doing since 1976. You know, I've been with so many of my people that did not find their gift. You know, and they suffer. If you don't find your gift, you suffer. I suffered. I didn't know what I was here for on this planet. You know, so when I found my gift, and I, of course it took me many years to develop it to where I am today, So there was a member of my community that found her gift. The very first indigenous nurse, registered nurse in British Columbia. And her name was Rose Casper. She's now passed. But I remember this nurse, very professional very compassionate. I mean, just cared about the people. In my view, the perfect nurse. I would go to her for physical concerns and she would help me or refer me to a doctor. My children, one of my daughters, all of a sudden developed a very high fever, got the flu. So, of course, I go see Rosie. So she comes and takes the temperature, you know, does her work as a nurse. And I remember feeling so comforted in knowing the nurse that was providing a service for my daughter. And I listened and I believed her. And when she told me what to do, I done it. She explained what was going on with my daughter with her fever and that I was to cool her down and give her lots of liquids. So she helped my family. I remember my grandmother, my late grandmother, all of a sudden became very ill. And I go sleep at my grandmother's house beside her bed in the sleeping bag because I was worried And I'd say, Mom, I'll take you to the doctor. She says, no, son, I don't want to go there. So I went to get Rosie to do a house visit. And she came. And I remember her going to my grandmother's bedside, speaking our language to my grandmother. Oh, and my grandmother responded in the language. And I could see they were connecting. And my grandmother's pointing to her body and telling Rose what was going on. So Rose 
convinced her to go to the doctor. So I took my grandmother to the doctor, and she was admitted to the hospital and went through an operation. When I think of that, you know, when people use the word culturally relevant service, <laughs> that was a perfect model of culturally relevant service. Rose, speaking in our language to my grandmother. Providing a professional, compassionate, relevant service. And I'm ever so grateful for that. I'll never, never forget that. So I want to talk to Rose about her career. I never did get to ask her how she got to even go to nursing because I'm thinking, you know, to be the first registered Indigenous nurse in British Columbia, that means you may have been the only Indigenous student in that class. And I think of her strength and her focus to get through that. There were no supports, and like we have today, we have... um, staff working in universities and colleges to help our students get through the system, to succeed. So today I know I meet indigenous nurses, community nurses, nurses in the hospital, nurses in clinics, indigenous nurses. But like I was saying, when I go to conferences, there's very few. So part of this podcast is to inspire the listeners to promote nursing in their family as a career to their children. When I'm saying these words, I'm reminded of Shadaya telling me that him and the other chiefs went to Victoria. And he, and I remember his words. He said, literally, he said, Jerry, we had our caps in our, our hand talking to the government representative in Victoria. They went to Victoria. And he said, we were there to ask for post-secondary education for our children, that they'd be able to go to university and college. And he said the government representative I was talking to them was going to bring that request to the government, to the premier and the cabinet. He said to Shadaya and the other chiefs, why don't you ask for the right to vote as well as to have alcohol at the same time? Just don't ask for one thing. So Shadaya said that they immediately accepted the right to education and the right to vote in the province elections. 
He said they discussed alcohol for four days and uh, were wondering whether they should ask for that right because they could see the impacts it was having on the people. Eventually, because there were people being harmed from drinking wood alcohol and other substances, other, you know, they decided, yes, we will take that right. And plus, many were going to jail just for being in the presence of alcohol. So and then, and I have my guests with me. I was thinking Shadaya would be very proud of my guests, these ones that have gone through post-secondary to be nurses. <laughs> I myself, whenever I if I have a chance to go to a graduation at a university or a college, I find myself tearing up because I think of Shadaya and his request. So it's, you know, I'm very proud of indigenous people that go through post-secondary because they, they leave their homes and their community to go to the universities and the colleges, you know, to pursue their, their vision, their goal, to develop their gift. I was telling people the other day that, in my mind, it's a new age vision quest. Because in the vision quest, you leave your community and you're in isolation. You're in your fasting lodge or under a tree or sometimes they sit out in the open or amongst saplings. Or there's different ways of doing it, but the basic thing is you're in isolation. You're by yourself you know, sacrificing so you can find a gift for yourself and for your family and your community or your people. So I thought of people going to post-secondary, you know, from they're leaving their family. It's like they're being isolated. It's a new age vision quest. So I have some wonderful guests today that have been working now in the field of health. So I called them and I was in touch with uh, Rose. I call her Loshi. <laughs> That's how my grandmother would say Rose because um, my grandmother's first language was Stetlium. She could not say her R's. I'd be visiting her, and she'd be sewing, and she'd say, son, get my sissy, which is scissor. <laughs> so I was talking to Loshi, who works for Provincial Health Services Authority. I was talking to her about doing a podcast and with nurses. So she's in that field, so she said, oh, I can find people to do that. So she did, and I said, okay. When, when, when you're on the podcast, I'll be asking you, you know, why did you choose nursing as a career? And what area of nursing are you in today? What were the challenges that you had to face going to the school of nursing? 
and how did you overcome them? I ask that question because the listeners will probably face similar challenges. And if you give them an idea and share an idea with them how you overcame them, you can help them. You know, who, who were your role models? Who, who inspired you to keep going? Because I'm sure, like every indigenous person in this country, we all face racism. Or, you know, so many of us were wounded. That's another way of saying trauma. We were cut by what we went through in day school and residential school and just in society. You know, so that's why I'd like you to share if that happened to you. Some it doesn't happen. We don't face challenges like that. Or if we do, we're so strong, we just go through them, around them, over them, we you find a way. But I'd like you to share, you know, your role models, your inspiration. And through that, we'll inspire listeners to follow their dreams, their visions, so they can use their gift to help the people. And you know, the final question I'm going to ask is for you to give a message to your choice whether it be future nurses or current nurses or families or communities or even the government of Canada, you know, give a message about, give a message to the people. That's how I found myself. I heard a man say, stand up and be counted. And I stood up and I said, I'm going to count for something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be part of the solution. I don't want to be the problem anymore. That was a message I heard. came through the air. And I've heard many messages from elders, from people that were successful. People teaching how to overcome negative thinking. One of my teachers said, you might, you may have to say it over and over and over again to convince yourself. And one of the, you know, I, growing up in life, I struggled with myself, my own feelings about myself, beliefs about myself. So one of the statements I would say is, Jerry, you are a lovable, capable human being. Jerry, you are a lovable, capable human being. I'd say that over and over again to convince myself and to erase that negative messaging that was going on in my head. I internalized what I heard in the air about being stupid Indians. You know, that there's... You know, people were implying there's something wrong with us because we're indigenous. And I heard those as children, those words, so I absorbed them. 
So to push him out, I would say these words over and over and over again. And those were messages that were sent to me. One elder told me after we'd finished the ceremony, he says, from this day on, you say, each day I get stronger. Each day I get stronger. So I said that for I don't know how many days, but I had said that. And I got stronger. So those are messages, and that's why I'm asking my guests, whatever comes to you, give a message. So that's going to be the podcast with the nurses. And it's called Celebrating Our Nurses. You know, our nurses. Celebrate them, honor them for the work they do. I can just imagine, only in my imagination, the struggles in the past two years around COVID with our nurses. So I'm going to ask my first guest to please introduce herself to the people that listen to Teachings in the Air. Tonse, uh, Mona Lisa Burke-Bearskin, Nisigasan, Amiskwa Sagihagan, Treaty 6 territory, and I'm coming to you today from Tecumloops to Shrepmo. So I just want to say Tanse and good morning. Mia Isagao, good morning to everybody. And thank you, Jerry, for that um, wonderful opening of recognition. Um, and I just want to um, acknowledge that uh, I'm I'm here in the traditional and unceded territories of Tecumloops to Shrapmuf, where I am currently living. And I come here with this long history of my own ancestry, Marianne Bearskin, um, the last woman in our family to be born on the land. And I think about her when I think about nursing and how important it was for her to push me to go to, go to school. Um, you talk about that journey that we're on as Indigenous people and reconciling and re re reclaiming our own ways of knowing, being, and doing. And as a, as a, I want to call Sir Thriver of the genocide and living through that and witnessing um, the traumas to our women, particularly for me and my nation, Beaver Lake Cree Nation. And through that suffering, um, did come light, did come compassion for the people, did come my own um, reconnecting back as a result of being removed and stolen and stripped being able to learn in our own language and using that experience to motivate me 
through that suffering, I lost our losses and that no, not unique to me, but to a lot of our people and our families is the loss of our families and the loss of our loved ones. And in some of those instances, the trauma and really working hard to not get lost in that trauma. You know, you mentioned about finding your gift and through nursing, through the Western model, I found something, I found a pathway. I connected to those indigenous elders on campus. It was probably my first ever discussion about really speaking to where the strength of my roots lie and, and in the women and the matriarchs. And, um, you know, I think about the sacrifices I, I did. I raised um, two sets of twins. I have twin boys and twin girls, and that's my biggest claim to fame in my lifetime. And it'd be the most important contribution to the world that I could give is good human beings um, that are mindful and are aware of our history and aware of the challenges they still will have to take up and fight on behalf of their Cookum and their Mushums and their Chapons and that. And um, I just want to say to Rose here, um, one of her first comments, I heard her say that I was her boss. And no, I would highly disagree with that. Rose was my teacher. She taught me how to nurse in a new territory, even though I came with my own knowledge, uh, coming into someone else's territory and honoring the people here. And again, that's the heart of nursing. It's about the people, it's about the children. It's about inspiring a future where yes, we can do it and yes, we can make change. And I'm so honored to see the other women here, Cassie and Tamara, um, to hear about their journeys in healthcare and, and what they've contributed to. So with that, I'll, um, hi, hi, cooks, chacho. Oed ho huay tep rose melnakun squacks test uktaos test ahwant to kamlip sisakwatm namun twin. So greetings in my language, sakwatmakchin. I'm a beginner sakwatmakchin um, speaker. I didn't grow up with the language um, for many reasons. Uh, the language wasn't spoken, um, it wasn't brought back from the residential school and there was lots of shame around those pieces and so as an adult I've been taking that up and trying to incorporate my language into spaces where I can. And so um, I introduce myself again in Sakwat Makchin. I identify as Tukdausam. So on my mum's side, um, my Kika, my mum, Violet Basil and my Kia'a, uh, my grandmother, Wilma Baswell, are both survivors at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. So alongside my Kika and my Kia'a, uh, my Pa'a and all my aunts and uncles attended um, there as well. And on my dad's side, I identify a second and third generation Ukrainian Sicilian settler. And so a little bit about my history, um, when I think about those that have came before, I think about my ancestor and one of my pa'as, Basil Dick. 
he was a recognized Twilch, is what we use in um, our language, so a doctor, essentially. And he was heavily involved in our nation's title and sovereignty, fighting for a fair reciprocal relationship with the Canadian government, which is now known today as the Sir Wilfrid Laurier Memorials memorial. So he actually traveled across what's now known as Canada and went to England to have a conversation around how our people were being treated so poorly. And so these are the stories that I grew up with and really enforced in me the collective responsibility that we have as Sahuatan people to take care of people within these lands and uh, to protect these lands for future generations. And so, you know, amongst those stories, I also had many people that I looked up to in my family, including my kia. And so one of my great aunts, Irene Dick, um, she came from the community of Asket and then married into our family. And she was the... Um, the first uh, licensed practical nurse to graduate from her community. And uh, she had a wonderful career, but spent the majority of her career in our community as the community health representative. And I just remember her quiet, gentle nature, always um, being out visiting with the people. And so that's someone who I looked up to, as well as my uncle Tommy, who served in our community for the majority of his life. And he had... I would say probably the equivalent of a grade five education that came from the Kamloops Indian Residential School. And so he always was um, encouraging uh, members of the family to go to school because he saw it as a way um, not to assimilate, but to learn from the system so that we could better our people. And so um, with that, I was the, I'm the second oldest granddaughter in my family and um the way it works, at least in our family, in our community, is that we look after the 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 ones that are getting older. And so when my kia needed some help, she had a major health event when I was in high school. She had brain aneurysms and there needed to be someone there to look after and to take care of her. And so I became her caregiver. I was her caregiver until I turned 30. And that's what led me into nursing. I was always someone in the family that was, I guess, uh, a helper. Um, always helping out, always spending time with the elders. And so it seemed like a, a natural path for me. And um, so I've been a nurse now for coming on. It'll be coming up to 15 years. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in nursing, and then I just completed my master's of nursing. So I laugh a little bit about Lisa being my boss because she really, I don't know if I would have made it through um, the, the master's program without having another Indigenous nurse, an Indigenous scholar, and someone who's already walked these steps before me. Um, and so I'm thankful for that and and for what I'm able to contribute back to our people. So that's just a little bit about me. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Cassie Michelle. I'm joining in today from beautiful Sokotmakulu territory, specifically to Kamloops, uh, where I'm a guest and super happy to be here. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day. It's chilly in my room, though, so I had to put on a sweater. But um, my home community is Kanakabar, <clears throat> part of the Intikatma Nation. Uh, my mom is Shelly Niehaus, my dad is Bobby Michelle, and my grandma was Agnes Michelle. And uh, I'm a licensed practical nurse. I've been in nursing since 2010. I was the first person in my family to go to university, pursue post-secondary education. And um, I think I knew from a very early age that I was a helper. Um, 
It was just something that was instilled in me. My mom was a carried and worked at Overlander, so I spent a lot of time at the elders' home there and just running around, talking, visiting. And um, Mom! my little toddler just came in. Mom, that's how <laughs> you know what, right? I'm just recording. You want to say hi really quick? Yeah. Okay, say hi. <laughs> All right. Gotta go, okay? <laughs> so I'm also a mom. <laughs> I'm also a mom, a daughter, a sister, an auntie, um, and my career path has definitely been non-linear. So uh, in 2014, I'd been working as a nurse for about four years and kind of just working a bit of frontline. I didn't really know where my path was really leading me or what I wanted to do. Um, when I graduated, I was about 21 from the program turning 21, so I was the youngest person working. And uh, from my perspective, I was one of the only Indigenous people. And so there wasn't a lot of safety in identifying as being Indigenous and taking on a bit of a leadership role at that young age, not knowing really who I was or what I wanted to do. Um, and then in 2014, my dad ended up um, getting very critically ill. So uh, that was a, a turning point for myself. Um, he was a residential, or he is a residential school survivor of St. George's. He attended there for nine years. And um, during his admission to Royal Inland, that was where I really seen the impacts of him going to residential school. And so I ended up taking a nursing foot care course. And uh, from there, I was able to connect with Rose's home community of uh, Bonaparte. And I was out there providing nursing foot care services and eventually um was very grateful to accept a position doing some home care nursing uh, and that was really a turning point in my life for what it meant to be an Indigenous nurse and how to how to nurse from an Indigenous perspective and Rose has been a huge mentor for me she's guided me in a lot of the work I've done we made a, a connection through that work and we did a recruitment video <laughs> with interior health <laughs> um and yeah, so I just, you know, I really appreciate all of the mentors that I've had. Rose, Rose has been a huge one. Um, Crystal Morris, Vanessa Mitchell are all really strong women that I look up to and have helped me. And, you know, when I go back to my home community, it's something that I try and bring back and instill hope and show people like we can get to different places in the healthcare system. And it just takes people stepping out and believing in ourselves and believing in one another that we can that we haven't been previously so um that's a little bit about me and I'm just really happy to be here and looking forward to the conversation thanks good morning everybody my name's Tamara Bob uh, my dad is Sam Bob and my mom is named Carrie Carrie Bouguet um, my dad is from Snutnas First Nation Nanus First Nation on Vancouver Island. My sister is Naomi Bob, who also works for PHSA, and I'm very proud to be here with her. And I, yeah, I actually am a new graduate nurse. I graduated in 2019. Um, I first began my journey in 2012. I've been studying since 2012. My nursing journey was definitely, I relate, it was not linear. It took a lot of hard work. Um, I had, I had probably many teachers, many colleagues tell me it was impossible for me to get through it, but I was able to find a lot of support in the strength of the matriarchs in my family. Um, my dad is a survivor of the residential school. He went to the residential school in Penelicut. 
and um, recently went to the Penelope gathering just to see the land where that affected her family. And so knowing that that really affected her family, I knew that I had to work very hard to, to work on that trauma, work on that healing to make a better family for myself. Um, back in 2012, I grew up in East Van, actually. Addiction, racism are real in Vancouver. And so I know that people people tell you you can't uh, be anything. You know, people aren't afraid to be racist to Indigenous teenagers in Vancouver. And I just want them out there to know that you don't have to listen to them. Don't listen to these people who still hold these racist values and tell you that, you know, college isn't for you or college is impossible. I decided I always had that spirit from my grandma that if someone tells me I can't do it, I'm going to go out and do it. So I, I applied to, I applied to a native ed college. I wasn't ashamed to go to adult education school and they were phenomenal there. That actually was what jumpstarted my nursing career. They brought me to the Langarage, Langara college campus and they, did the tour. They showed us the Indigenous Student Lounge. They brought us to the library. They really opened up that world of college as an idea to me because there was a turning point in my life. Like you're saying, college is kind of our new vision quest because it was either I, you know, remain in East Van and succumb to the addiction that was very rampant in friends and family, unfortunately, or decide, am I going to fight against this? Am I going to fight against what Vancouver is telling me what I'm going to be and decide to go to college? So going through Native Ed, going through Langara, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about healing. I, I grew up in a family of six children, believe it or not. And just living with six, six other five other children, you learn a lot about peacekeeping. You learn a lot about relations. You learn a lot about social values and just taking care of each other. And um, my grandma, Caroline Bouguet, she was the first female graduate from the NITEP program at UBC, which is the teacher's education program. And she said, Tamara, you, you have to get your education because knowing what residential school and what Canada did to us, taking away everything they thought they could, education is the one thing they can't take away from you. So that's that's my message today is if you can get your education, that's that's something no one can take away from you. And that will be yours. And it's it's your tool. It's it can make a better life for you. And that that kept me going through the hard parts. So so yeah, that's my introduction. Thank you. So I had these questions that we that guided a discussion. And the first question I asked him, could you please share with our audience the challenges that you faced during your educational journey and how you overcame them? Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. You know, the challenges I think are changing. Like I mentioned in my intro, when I first started nursing, being young, not knowing who I was as an Indigenous woman, as an Inskapan woman, that was hard, right? And so I think growing into who I am, but also finding my voice through allies and friends and people that were able to support me in understanding who I am, how to use my voice effectively, 
and to not be afraid to speak up. And so I think, um, you know, some of the work that Rose and Lisa have done through the interior health uh, knowledge translation work of building mentorships, of building support groups, community of practices is something that will definitely be beneficial in the future for nurses and Indigenous healthcare providers in general. But, you know, it's finding your people. It's finding who can you lean into, who can support you, um, whether that's in the healthcare system or in your home communities. I think just really identifying that, what brings you strength, what brings you joy, and not being afraid to voice um, our opinions and making sure that we're heard. Thanks. Yeah, Wyatt. So I was thinking about some of the different challenges and I really appreciated um, everyone just sharing their journey into nursing and that idea that nursing isn't a linear path. And so, you know, when I think about challenges back challenges in the in the education system anyways it wasn't a linear path for me either so I actually applied to the nursing program twice and was denied um, so I, I I actually challenged it and that was the first time I think at least in my life that I that I thought um, one that I deserved to challenge it and that I wanted nursing bad enough to do it and so um, I was able to get into the nursing program but I was also a young mom at the time so I had my son when I was turning 21. And uh, in order to be successful in nursing, I actually had to carve out and take some courses in advance, right? So trying to do things like English courses or anatomy and physiology so that it would make the workload a bit easier and so that I would be successful in completing. So it took me longer than I would say other people to finish the nursing program, but I did finish it. And so I just think, you know, that perseverance and Tamara, you talked about how you were able to be toured around the college. And so a big piece for me was there was three of us, right? Uh, three Kelmoch or three Indigenous um Indigenous nursing students and we really stuck together during the program and and then the services that were available at the university. So there was tutors and there was um, a place where Indigenous students could gather, share a meal, just, you know, be with each other. Because here I was in Kamloops, which is to me a big city. We're almost 100,000 now, but I come from Skookdows, right? Way out in the sticks, you know, not too many people out there. So um, be being in a big city was also, you know, a challenge in being away from home. And so when I think about the challenges in nursing now, um, you know, I have been out of frontline clinical practice for a while. And so I think the biggest challenge is looking at the systemic changes that need to happen through policy, through education, through research, through government. And so um, those those are where I see the biggest challenges is bringing leaders on like alongside to make the changes that need to occur. And um, I, I talk about a colleague who shared this about being like the wind in the water. So when I think about my family who talked about, we need to find out the way that the system works and the way that they think, not so that we can become part of it, so that we can be like the wind in the water and find our way around, right? To find the way through. And so it brings me, when I talk about challenges, I also talk about hope because with challenges, 
you know, there's this idea if there's a problem, we can't, you know, fix it. And for me, it's about finding the way through. And, you know, I want to say one of the proudest moments in my own nursing career when I think about policy is it comes from the ground up. So there was an Aboriginal patient navigator, a community pharmacist and a palliative care nurse, and they approached me. I was in a, a, a leadership position in the interior at the time, and they said, hey, status First Nations people in the province of BC do not get palliative care benefits. So those that are facing advancing life-limiting illness in the same way that every other person that lives in BC does. So because they're status First Nations, it would go through what was previously the non-insured health benefits through the First Nations um, Health Authority. And essentially what was happening is that our people weren't getting the same access to coverage for palliative care medication, equipment, and home support. And I found allies in the system and we worked over a year and we developed a summary of the issues. And it sounds like a long time, but government can be slow. And we just kept going forward and we actually brought it all the way up through the provincial um, Indigenous governance structure to the Tripartite Council on First Nations Health, where the government made a change and said and recognized this is wrong, this should be a care first principle, and we're going to ensure that this doesn't happen to anyone else. So that that was an inspiring moment in my career, not because I did the work, but because people voiced the concern, we found a way to work together and we found a way to find a solution. And so I think those are the biggest challenges that we have ahead of us is how do we make those structural changes? And I know it's a bit away from, from frontline nursing, but to me, equity and cultural safety um, initiatives need to happen through all layers of the system, right? That needs to happen on the front line for the people that are caring for our people through all the middle layers, all the way up to government. So anyways, I'm, I can hear the passion in my voice. I'm getting real feisty scoped in over here. So <laughs> you chicks. Thanks. You know, just listening to Rose talk about, you know, her experiences in healthcare really reminds me, really inspired me actually for my answer, which is that healthcare wasn't made with Indigenous values. Healthcare was made with Canadian values. Doesn't exactly align with my, you know, my family's values. And so going through my first job in acute care at Lionsgate Hospital, it was really difficult for me to still see racism in emerge surgical area, you know, ICU. It's still still really difficult for me to see that. And so actually, Vancouver Aboriginal Health reached out to me personally um, because I'm just going through my master's course right now. I'm getting my master's in nursing for education. Yeah, I started last year. I thought during the pandemic, what else am I going to do? <laughs> So I, I'm not going out. I'm not seeing anyone. I'm just going to go online and get my master's. And I think that's the best decision I ever made because plugging that into my resume and it, it people were starting to, my LinkedIn is blown up it's, it's because it says I'm enrolled now. So people notice that people, people pay attention to what you're doing in the community. Just, you know, keep, keep your profile out there and, and job hunters will reach out. So uh, VGH actually has a very small team in Aboriginal health and they have Indigenous nurse educators. They need nurses. They need Indigenous nurses who, who understand what communities need. And, and even though VGH is a Metro Vancouver, 
people from, you know, all over BC are coming to these places. People are coming into ICU. People are coming into Emerge. People are traveling and coming through and are visibly or non-visibly First Nations and Indigenous. And it's, the racism is real. And this team is so small and they need that support, you know, from Indigenous nurses. And they have only a handful of people on that team. And unfortunately, I won't be able to start that position until probably next year because I'm still going through my master's and I'll be finishing it next year. But there's definitely leadership positions that are not hard to get into because they're looking for First Nations nurses. And I noticed going through Langara, I was a huge advocate for mentorship because I was so shy and I was too scared to talk to these teachers who look down on me and they're so in their usual ways of being this big, scary teacher. And, you know, it's hard to approach these people after class. So I learned about mentorship and connecting with people. And it was really funny. Back in 2014, when I first started in the nursing program, we didn't have designated seats for Indigenous nursing students. We had designated seats for international students, but we didn't have designated seats for Indigenous students. So 2014 is the when I started my nursing program. I was working at the Starbucks on campus waiting to get into the nursing program. And the administration office, her name was Lisa, she came up to me and she said, check your email. You're in the program. <laughs> and I bugged her. I became her best friend because she was the administration advisor for people getting accepted into the nursing program. I made her the best Starbucks coffee. <laughs> I went to her office every week. She said, Tamara, I'm sick of hearing from you. <laughs> she said. But I was just so nice to her. Even if my Starbucks was closed, she'd knock on the window and I'd make her a coffee. We became friends. And she she realized like these Indigenous nursing student seats are needed. So as of 2014, there are four designated seats for Indigenous nursing students who will be accepted into the program. And since then, um, we have an informal Langara nursing chat group. People are people are applying, people are getting in there, and it's it's amazing. It's amazing to see the youth interested and and engaged and wanting to get into healthcare because I think it's the best decision I ever made in my life to get into a job because working at Starbucks, they threaten to fire you every week. They say you work harder. You have to work twice as hard as the person next to you just to keep your job, to keep your hours. And with nursing, it's just like it's a whole new life for me. It's the job is guaranteed. The hours are guaranteed. People treat you with respect. And so I'm just so glad that I made this decision to get into nursing. Just not even just for me, but for my family. I feel like we can relax now because it's the first time I ever came out of poverty and was able to have a car and do my home health nursing and just, you know, relax for the first time and enjoy life. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I had to say. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, um, I mentioned earlier, it's about finding nursing through the back door, because at a time um, in in my history, it's you know, we weren't we weren't encouraged to go into nursing. So it was a fight from the get go to even get into the front door. So it was one of the best fights I ever did, because as Tamara mentioned, it did help with my own family. But, you know, I think where I'm fine, I'm, I'm at now with my career 
you know, I've been through every health professional role. I, I um, quit high school. Um, so I had to do upgrading, which I did. Then I went and became a healthcare aide, did that for a while, got some experience, then went on to be an LPN. Um, the academic part was always the hardest because I didn't have those basic writing, um, English and math and science skills. Writing is still a challenge for me at, you know, at this level where I'm supposed to be supporting other students to do their own writing. Um, one of the biggest challenges I face now as, you know, in the academia situation is teaching people the foundation of our Canadian healthcare system was built on the philosophies and the practices and the actions of Indigenous peoples, the original traditional healers and helpers of this country. That information was co-opted and the dominance of medical model continues to dominate and very sophisticated forms of systemic racism are, are, are implanted in our system. And I, you know, I have to speak to these equity seats, although these equity seats are brilliant and they're a great idea. You know, when you dive down deeper into them, they still privilege the institution. You know, the high level tokenism, right? Every, it's a good day to be indigenous. <laughs> you know, um, indigenous knowledge is a current currency. They want our brown faces now on their posters. They want us now at their tables, right? This is the new change we're facing, but this is a very high level, you know, very insidious forms of systemic and structural racism. And so now that we are getting these spaces, the work that comes with that. So we need to be, create these networks for ourselves where we can critically think in our own languages and critically unpack what it means to be in relationship and not just with the people, but the land, right? When I think, you know, to Rose's story and some Rose Casper's story and some of what I'd heard her family talk about, what is being in constant relationship with, you know, the animals, the plants, everything that is our, our natural bounty that access so, so, so for us not to forget that, right? But also for us to protect that. Because right now, I don't think, you know, I think we got to be mindful that the answer, you know, the answers doesn't just necessarily mean we cherry pick uh, people who self-identify to say, okay, now we've got an Indigenous person here, right? Um, and so, those, you know, those are the different challenges at this institutional level of trying to unpack and create a safer space for um, graduates, right? You know, our elders should be on these ethic committees. Our, our knowledge holders should have full voting positions when they work and they can contribute to Indigenous student, students' theses and, and projects. They should have equal opportunity to work alongside me to be the educator and they need to be compensated in a way that speaks to the value of what they bring the richness um so my challenges right now are you know <clears throat> doing research and what you talked about earlier you know about science right it is this domination and I think about one of the best challenges um, I overcame and I I I, I overcame it 
with the patho and physiology and the science of how, you know, um, chemistry works in our body. And I did it through our hunting practices. I was taught to hunt. And so in that, that's how I taught my kids about science because uh, the lungs are very similar, the trachea, you know, and when we were hunting and, you know, when you're skinning and you're pulling that all back and to teach your kids about this, you know, the richness of that knowledge and the protocols that go into that and how that now translate to helping our kids come into nursing. You know, one of the biggest challenges I see is, is our youth before they even hit grade seven are already veered out of science, any kind of science. So we're, we're creating up so many barriers before they even get into grade, you know, seven or eight, they're told, well, maybe education will be better for you. Maybe, you know, go into social work, right? Because it's not the science dominated field, but I say, let's challenge that. We have to break down those barriers much early for our youth to even be able to think about coming in because by time they reach grade 10 and 11, They've, they're already on a trajectory that won't support them going into a science. And, and, and we need that science as nurses, right? As healthcare providers, we need to understand how the human body works. And we all have the same color blood at the end of the day. Um, and so, yes, so that's, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I could just go on and on. Again, the passion comes out, right? Question number two. I then asked these wonderful nurses about self-care. How they take care of themselves in such demanding work, first off as a student, then as a nurse. What's their self-care? So that they can share that with other young men and women that are going to be nurses. So they shared with me how they, they took care of themselves. Self-care. I probably don't do enough self-care, to be totally honest. Um, it's something that I'm working on doing better. But I do think for myself, a big piece of that is being with my family. So um, I talk about my dad a lot, and people that know me know that he is someone that's really special to me. And um, I just take time to be with him and my son, Ryan, who you heard earlier on the podcast, uh, I like to spend time just with my family, whether that's outside, out on the land, if we're able to go back home to Kanaka. Um, I also, I see a counselor on a regular basis just to work through my own intergenerational trauma and just to better myself and um, processing. I do things that are probably more creative, I guess. I like to sew. I like to be crafty. I like to paint. And I think just a big piece for me is really connecting back with community and family. That's probably my biggest piece. Um, but with that, I'm, I'm learning more to put up boundaries and not overextend myself and sometimes needing to remind myself that I don't always need to have my helper hat on, that I'm okay to just be with people and enjoy the time and not always try and help someone or figure out. Sometimes people are just having a conversation and not needing you to be a problem solver all the time. So I think uh, it's still a learning journey for me. Matt, uh, I, um, I would say similar to Cassie, I think this is something that uh, will 
you know, be a work in progress over my lifetime around self-care and even around the boundary pieces. As helpers, we often want to step into everything and see everything as an opportunity and, and you know, um, being able to take care of yourself is really important because if you continually give and give and don't do that, then that's where burnout happens. And so, you know, I'm a little bit older than Cassie, but again, you know, the lessons are still there. But when I think about um, wellness and self-care, again, being connected to family and community, being Sahuatan, being with Sahuatan people, like that's really important for me. That's where I draw strength, where we can, you know, share laughs and just be ourselves. And in terms of um, the rest, you know, the teachings that I grew up with was connection to the Tmuch, to the land, right, to the Setepqua, to the water. And so um, one of someone that I've worked with here in Tkamloops and what I've heard in my community too is water is medicine, medicine is water. So for me, um, if I'm feeling heavy and that I'm carrying things from nursing or from other things that um, I go to the water and I go and cleanse off, so, or I'm out on the Tmuch. Um, so for me, I, I like to mountain bike, so um, I don't do anything motorized because my competence never matches my skills. So <laughs> I'm mindful there, but I do I do like to get out. Um, mountain biking is a good way to get out on the Tmuk. So I do it for cardio and also the little bit of a treat for the, you know, the wind in your hair and going real fast coming down. So that's something that I enjoy. I get out paddle boarding and um, um, for a few years, I actually used to do um, Olympic powerlifting. So CrossFit, uh, my body's a little bit, uh, can't handle some of that stuff anymore, but um, it, was a, it was a real good uh, way to build community and to build strength. So, and laughter, you know, some nursing is, um, I mean, this can be really heavy and heart work. And so um, finding a way to find that joy in your life to share and laughs is so important and really being connected to other Indigenous peoples. So um, Tamara, so glad to meet you in Circle today. And I've been fortunate to have, you know, a circle such as Lisa and Cassie and others where we can just talk about what it means to be not only Indigenous nursing as an Indigenous nurse, but more so about what it means to just be Indigenous and to share in those laughs. I love our people's humor. It's awesome. It's what keeps me going. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit too, because I know Naomi Bob's maybe not um, interviewing today, but when her and I get together, I don't even think we can barely, barely look at each other. We don't even have to say anything if we're laughing. So um, laughter is good medicine too. Yeah. So Cook's Jam. So for self-care and just my life in general, um, I know when I graduated nursing school, I looked up counseling through work. Uh, my work gives me, you know, a month of counseling at a time every time I apply for it as benefits. And I realized that I kept re-upping with the same counselor. So I, I Googled how to get counseling. And um, because my family was impacted by residential school, I get, you know, a whole year of counseling if I apply for it, depending on they approve it. So I've just been re-upping and going to a counselor every few weeks. And when I stop doing that, I I feel like I don't feel like myself. I just feel like I'm going crazy because nursing, although it's hard, it's it's 
the whole, the crux of nursing is that we put a lot of ourselves into it. It's, it's hard to make that work-life boundary. Um, it's hard to remember that this is my job. It's not, you know, like I can't take that home every day to my family. I still need to make that dividing time between, you know, I just blast the radio on the way home and remind myself once I get home, this is my time with my family. And I can't bring up work and think about work and ruminate because once I start ruminating about the work and the problems at work, you could ruminate forever. And what, what's really helped me with self-care is, unfortunately, as a new grad through college, a lot of college students use alcohol to self-medicate. And so giving that up after college really helped with my mental health, really helped with my wellness. Um, that really helped me start working through the trauma of growing up in the city and having family go through residential school, just going to see my counselor every few weeks, that's really helped. Um, and there's this huge propaganda about nurses being heroes, but at the end of the day, people are gonna look, look up to you as a leader, but you have to remember to take care of yourself. That's what my manager actually pulled me aside. She's actually the best manager I've ever had. She pulled me inside and she's like, I see you're going off to this new job next year. You're doing your master's. She's like, are you taking care of yourself? Like people look up to me as a leader when it comes to healthcare because my dad went through ICU in the early pandemic time with COVID and um, just him going through ICU. People, people called me. They said, what should we do? Like what medications should he have? The doctors called me. Do you approve this medication with your dad in ICU? And I was like, I'm a new grad nurse, like, please treat him like, you know, anyone else. But just having that pressure of being in healthcare, like one of the first people in healthcare in my family, you definitely feel that pressure. So just remembering to make those boundaries with other people, that's really helped of, wait a minute, I can't handle this right now. And just taking the time to take care of myself and prioritizing my own mental health, that was really important. Yeah, pandemic gave us a lot of self-reflection time. So I feel like, yeah, learning to take care of myself has definitely been a journey through the pandemic. <laughs> well, I'm definitely on the uh, older than these young girls here. So I always appreciate um, hearing about boundaries. I think I um, my way to maintain my own wellness is to go to the land. Um, I have created a network um, and relationships with some amazing uh, mentors. Um, one of them here from this nation is Colleen Seymour. Um, and then my Cree colleagues, Kathy Bird and Willie Ermine and Norma Rabbitskin. And every year we go to the land and it's one, one week and it's the highlight of my self-care where I can go and nurture my spirit and be with the plants and be with the elders and, and relish in their language and learn my language and to go home um, for the first time in my own family. My daughter, two of my daughters are registered nurses. Uh, one has recently been hired back in our home nation. Um, so it's like our whole family has gone full circle, even though uh, the women in my bearskin side uh, were removed from our nation. Now it took, you know, 
two generations to get us back there. And the fact that my daughter is working there and I get to go home and I get to listen to the elders and I get to listen to what um, she does, that just so just fills me with so much pride and joy. And I think some of us older nurses, you know, um, this life of service is really hard to separate who I am as a professional and uh, and uh, an Indigenous woman. So I haven't done as good a job at separating those two. Um, I embody nursing as my lifelong gift and contribution, you know, not to just my own family, but to my nation and however I can support other nurses supporting their communities and so I appreciate learning all about these boundaries um, is something that will be you know my lifelong challenge. <laughs> final question or final statement I asked nurses. I gave I said I'm going to give you an opportunity now to give a message that you would like to give today to individuals, families or communities. It'll be your choice. So I'd just like to hear you give a message to the people out there. Oh, some words to inspire the youth. Um, you know, I reflect on my own journey coming from a very small Sahuatan community, and I didn't talk about maybe my struggles growing up and the, you know, um, all of the things in your family, all of the, you know, the alcohol, the drugs, and and the messages that you received there. So. Um, you know, I, what I would say is that it's possible. Um, anything is possible. Uh, even if you've maybe had um, a hard time in high school and maybe don't have your diploma or don't have some of those courses, there are so many supports that are available in university now. And, you know, I really appreciate Tara, Tamara, how you talked about how this is really you know, brought you and your family out of poverty and created so many possibilities. And I would echo that, that whether it's nursing or sciences, or you want to be a doctor or a midwife or anything in healthcare, that it's possible. And, and to just keep moving forward in that way. And um, there's, there's so many of us that have gone through, have made it, have survived the system and are, I would say, thriving now. And so I would just, that's my message is that um, you can do it um, if, the, if you have the supports, if you, you know, and yeah, I think that's just my message is that it is possible. And, you know, I had an elder once and maybe I would share that too, is that they said, you know, we are the ones that our ancestors have been waiting for. So we think about everything that our families have gone through that have survived and maybe have struggled even, but we are the ones that our ancestors are waiting, have waited for. And so, yeah, you eat chooks. The message I really wanted to share today, I was actually thinking last night, what is the message I want to share? Um, I really want younger people to really think about getting a career in healthcare and to know that it's not impossible. It's not like if I could do it, you can do it. Like if I didn't know, I just Googled or I asked somebody. Just reach out, ask for help, ask me for help. Like it's not impossible to go through college. It's not impossible to get in. Like like one of my um, mentors said, 
he brought me to Langara. He said, as long as you're breathing and you have a pulse, they'll take you. <laughs> just, just apply. They'll take you. You'll be surprised. Just, just apply. What are they going to do? Say no. And once you're in, there's so many scholarships in nursing. I realized I, it was really hard working full time. It's still possible to work and go to school, but I couldn't work full time. I had to work part time and I supplemented that with scholarships. You don't have to be grade A student. You don't have to have perfect GPA. You know, I had C's a lot of the time, I'll be honest. And as long as you just work hard and just remember that it's not impossible. It's, you know, I was just a regular kid in East Van and I, you know, I was so shy in high school. I didn't excel in science in high school. And going to adult ed made it accessible and having those teachers in place who, you know, just really inspired me and told me I could do it. I think that's that's really what changed. And just knowing to build that social support doesn't have to be a mom, a dad, a sister. It could be friends, could be mentors, because you, I couldn't do it alone. I, I couldn't do my nursing school alone. So finding the people that you know are going to be there at the end of the day when you're studying for that exam and just, just staying up all night, knowing that I had somebody to help me cook dinner was, you know, really helpful. So it's not impossible. Just apply. And there are there is help out there. So I've been kind of ruminating on this and thinking about what is the message that I want to share. And I think what I've heard a lot of today is the struggles, right? We all struggle in our own different ways. And for myself, I didn't do well in high school. I really struggled with writing. I really struggled with math. I really struggled with science. And that's something that I don't think we talk about enough. And I don't think, you know, the expectation when you're going to university is, you know, get really good grades, get A's, be on the dean's list, like, the expectation for ourselves that I don't even think anyone puts on us, but we want to do really well. And I think being okay with not being perfect and knowing that so many of us struggle with this and it's, it is inherited, right? This isn't our fault. We're not dumb. We're not stupid. We deserve to go to university. We deserve to have really good education and it's okay. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to be frustrated, but just keep going. And even if that's small steps, especially, I think it would be great for people to go in healthcare, but whatever field you decide to go in, start small, have a really small goal, get through that, and then just keep working your way up. And if you need to take a moment or you need to take a few years in that area to build your confidence, that's okay. We've seen, we've heard people going back to school at all different ages or people getting to a certain point and they're okay with that. Like... I'm so inspired by everyone here with PhDs and master's degrees and, you know, I don't, I have a diploma and I'm good with that and I'm okay. And I think later on in my career, I will probably go back for a degree or a master's degree, but I'm okay with where I am now. And I'm really proud of myself. And I know that my, my community is proud and my family is proud of me. So wherever you are, that's good. And I'm just proud of you for taking whatever step you have taken to get where you are right now. And that's it. Thanks. Never give up. Never give up. I think about my uncle uh, when uh, doing the PhD. I had no idea what even a PhD was when I went into it. 
but he always reminded me, my girl, never forget what a PhD means. I said, okay, Uncle, what? He said, poor, homeless, and destitute. That is where our people come from. And that is your destiny to try to make a difference. So never give up. Akimomao. And aspire. And this one comes from Madeline Dion Stout. Always, always, always reminds me. Aspire to inspire. The fight is within each of us, not the system. And do your own work to, to move mountains because everybody can do it. Hi, hi.